Welcome to back to another episode of Shit That Goes On Our Head. Tonight we have two really special guests. We have Stephanie and Kevin, and I recently interviewed with them on their podcast. And I'm going to let Stephanie and Kevin introduce themselves. All right. So I'm Stephanie McCullough. Kevin and I decided we should start a podcast about three years ago. <gasps> Wait, it's almost exactly Congrats. three years from when we're recording. Almost exact, October yeah. Of 2020. Pretty much by the time we, yeah. Nice. Well, yeah, we decided like a year before we actually started because, you know, you have to agonize about this and that and figure every little thing out. And then you realize, oh, I'm not going to figure every little thing out. We're just going to start. Right. So, but we're both financial advisors. I've been doing it 26 years. It was a career change for me. Um, I specialize in working with women, mostly women on their own, but, you know, who feel intimidated by the whole money and investing thing and feel like they should know this stuff. But, hey, no one teaches us. So, you know, making a really safe space to have those um, intimate conversations to figure out how money can best serve you because money is just a tool. It's not the end in itself. Uh, Kevin Gaines, I too, financial advisor, I've been around the industry for damn near 30 years at this point uh <laughs> been a while but uh work primarily with uh people who are retired as i like to say i don't help people save i help people spend <laughs> uh the big well because the big issue is once you get into retirement it's like how do i spend the money or how do i enjoy spending the money without freaking out oh my god if this goes wrong i'm going to be eating cat food for the rest of my life <laughs> yeah. so yeah, no, there's a lot, a lot of stuff going on there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so that's uh, kind of where I focus. Uh, but yeah, like Stephanie was saying, uh, we started our podcast pretty much three years on the nose. Uh, and what's neat about the whole process of that was as we were designing what we were going to do and the artwork, it was in that very special time when I had my COVID beard. Oh, so nice. on the artwork... Our, you know, our little logo, I have a beard, which actually only existed on my face for maybe <laughs> eight weeks. <laughs> I didn't even put that together. That's so funny. So, yeah. so it's, it's this brief moment in time that, uh, yeah, I had a full beard instead of just this goat that I have. I love that, though. Will it ever come back, do you think, the full beard? No, because I don't grow it very well. Hmm. So when I'm quarantined and only my wife has to look at it, <laughs> you know, it's one thing. But when I got to take it out in public, I get a little self-conscious. Okay, I get a lot self-conscious about it. So, uh, yeah. I like the way you worded that, when I have to take it out in public. <laughs> it, it's like walking the dog. Instead, you know, we're just walking the beard. It's okay. Walking the beard. That's cool. So I think it's really interesting. Something you said, Stephanie, that I, I didn't quite put together, but... You create a safe space for women to talk about mm -hmm. finances and make them feel comfortable. I feel like I could benefit from that for sure. I don't know. Um, I, like me and a couple of my friends, I feel like we grew up with our parents doing everything for us and never having to learn on your own. So do you also just, in addition to making them feel safe, you're teaching them real life practices, right? For sure. And in fact, a client texted me today this cute little um, picture of it was uh, Winnie the Pooh and uh, Piglet. And she said, um, Piglet says, Pooh, what's the bravest thing you ever said? Asked Piglet. Help, said Pooh. 
And then my client said, um, thank you for facilitating my bravery. That's so nice. like she can't talk to any of her friends around about money because she said they either have scads and scads of money, way more than she does, or they have nothing. So, you know, she either feels like super poor or super entitled and not entitled, right? Right. Privileged. Um, and so who can she talk to? So I feel I think that's an issue for for most of us because we're told that it's not polite to talk about money, right? right. It's it's and then we feel like we're supposed to know this stuff, but like you said. Skittles, like nobody teaches us. Our parents usually aren't equipped to teach us because they didn't learn. Um, So yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely an issue. And I feel like the more we talk about it, right, the more we normalize talking about money and the emotions that come along with it, because it's inevitably emotional, um, the better we'll all be. And for me, you know, like when I was growing up, they didn't have that in school. No. Like they had economics class, but they didn't teach you yeah. how to, you know, balance a checkbook or, you know, what are you going to do when you retire? And because you're not thinking about that. Right. And so for me, I'm kind of like in Kevin's bandwagon. Mm-hmm. Uh, OK, now we have the money. How are we going to spend it? Yeah. <clears throat> and we have no problem doing that. Believe me. We, <laughs> but, but we are also being super smart about it, too. Right. Because. um my wife, you know, she's 11 years older than I am, but we want to make sure that, you know, 10, 15 years down the line, we still have money, right? We don't want to like blow it all. I mean, I could, you know, <laughs> so I get limited on my Amazon purchases, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I I went back to work for that whole reason. Is, and really the whole reason I went back is because I need insurance. I'm not old enough to, to get it. Yeah. Know? So, you know, the 30 hours I work a week, it's it's enough for me. And I, you know, my benefits are paid. So I, I'm kind of cool with that. And then I can focus on the podcast. There you go. That's the real thing. Like I've talked to people who've graduated from some of the top MBA programs in the country, like masters in business. You'd think they'd teach them about money and they know about corporate finance and government finance and financial markets, but not personal finance. And when I was in college, like we'd walk down the the little walkway to the student center and people would be throwing credit cards at us, right? Like here, I get a free t-shirt for if you sign up for our credit card or get a free Frisbee. So of course, lots of us got into debt because we didn't understand this stuff. So yeah, they're just, we're thrown out into the world to sink or swim with, without the resources. Yeah, I mean, and that's the problem for college kids today is they don't get all these free T-shirts with their credit cards. So they got to do laundry more often than I ever had to. <laughs> it's like, oh, my gosh, I'm out of a clean shirt. Oh, ah, let me go sign up for uh, the go to Citibank and get a credit card. Hey, look at that. Hey, I don't have to do laundry for the whole weekend. I remember getting like my first checking account and getting like a casserole dish. Do they still do those? Right? I don't know. Like, I, don't think, I, I do. think I got a toaster one time. <laughs> So in addition to laundry, you also need to do more dishes. <laughs> and you needed the dish. Absolutely. You got to have something to put in the microwave, right? Is this how you guys met this industry? Yes. Yes. Yeah. We've worked together how long, Kevin? 20 something years? Uh, so you're already there. And I started January 8th, 2001. So okay. I started in 97. Math. So I've been there a few more years than you. And you said it was a career change for you. It was. What yeah, were you doing I, before? 
I worked for the federal government after I got my master's degree. I was working in Washington, D.C. and helping U.S. companies export, and that was really fun. Um, and then I worked for – I was following specifically the telecommunications industry, and then I got a job with a telecommunications company that happened to be headquartered in Paris. So that sounded Whoa. really cool because I got to fly to Paris and see my direct boss and my coworkers. But the uncool part was they all got like six weeks vacation because they were based in France. And I got two weeks vacation because I was based in Maryland. <laughs> <laughs> so that job didn't last too long. Um, and then we decided, oh, maybe if we want to have kids, it'd be nice to be near the grandparents. And they were all near the Philadelphia area where we had grown up. And my husband got a job offer in Philly. And I was like, well, shoot, what am I going to do? I, I guess I could go work with my dad, even though I grew up not wanting to do what he did. He was a financial advisor. He's a excellent salesperson. And uh, that just turned me off. Mm. The sales part, like, yeah, <laughs> give me the skeeties, right? Like, Ugh. so I made a whole pitch to him that I could join the business. And of course, it was like, you had me at hello, right? Like one of my kids is interested in the business. Come on in. Um, yeah. But it was a whole evolution from there. Man. Yeah, so did you grow up learning about finances? A bit. I mean, I learned certain things like, but I think I learned, you know, certain, you know, um, uh, biases that my dad had, right? Like debt is bad. Debt is bad, period. <laughs> you never carry a credit card balance. You don't go into debt. Okay, a mortgage. That's it. Um, which, you know, debt is a tool like anything else. You have to use it wisely, but it's not necessarily evil. Mm. Um, you know, and I, ha oh, I have more life insurance than <laughs> more life insurance policies than anybody <laughs> else because my dad sold life insurance. And when he had to make a quota, He'd buy more on his kids. So I've got lots of life insurance. But they're um, little had, policies. They are. There's lots of little policies. Yes. Um, and then I had some mutual funds, but I don't I don't think I necessarily understood them. Probably because I had no interest, right? Like he probably tried to teach me and I was like, eh, no thanks. <laughs> That's so funny. So, Kevin, how did you get into the industry? Is it something that you always wanted to do, or did you kind of fall into it? Well, yeah, it's kind of something I always wanted to do. Uh, and the story of my path is I get all these great ideas, and I start off with this energy, and then it just kind of peters out. So I never, according to my mother when she's down on me, I never quite reach my potential on a lot of these <laughs> things. But, no, I mean, I started – uh, early, uh, getting back to personal finance in school, my County in Maryland, I'm going to shout, give Carroll County public education a shout out here. They actually had a class general business studies is what it was called. But in that course, you actually learned here's how to balance a checkbook. Here's how to do a lot of basic accounting functions type stuff. Nothing that would be that you could build a career off of, but you know, there was a lot of basic understanding. Uh, and then from there, for some weird ass reason, I was always interested in taxes. Like I'm in, I'm in high school watching dad curse a lot <laughs> <laughs> as he's trying to fill out the 1040. It's like, Oh, this is, this is interesting. These forms are interesting. <laughs> You think I was going to aspire to be an accountant? Yeah, that didn't happen. But uh, yeah, and then I went to school and I had this, uh, well, before I went to college, my uh, senior 
uh, what they have, uh, our objective or our goal in life or whatever, I still remember mine to become a billionaire and abuse the power that comes with it. There you are. <laughs> Not a billionaire and I have no power to abuse, but yet the sentiment still yet. rings dear to my heart. Uh, but yeah, so, you know, and then I went to school for uh, finance, uh, completely screwed up my uh, first uh, three semesters at school, got my ass kicked out, uh, then ended up going to a different school and had enough time to get a second major. So, hey, history's fun. So I got that. Uh, but yeah, and then from right then and there, it's like, hey, let me just, I know I want to go into, I want to be a stockbroker. I want to be rich. This is the early 90s. Mm. And uh, yeah, so, you know, tried one or two things. And then I saw a ad in the back of the paper saying, hey, want to be a stockbroker? Come join us. So it's like, what can go wrong with that? These big firms don't <laughs> want to talk to me because I don't know anybody. Yeah, the secret back then was to work for the Goldman or mm -hmm. the Morgan Stanley or whatever. You kind of had to know somebody or you kind of had to have money. It wasn't me. <laughs> but this sounds like, hey, they're going to stockbroker. What I didn't quite understand at the time was they were what's called a boiler room operation. <laughs> so... Wolf of Wall Street is the I most recent that. is the most recent version of this uh, quote unquote industry. It's really a high pressure, like one step above legal. Although in most cases, it actually was like uh, ten steps below legal. Ended up being, but technically, they were kind of structured to have this veneer of uh, legitimacy. But yeah, I mean. Basically, what you do is you got on the phone, dialed from eight in the morning to eight at night and trying to convince anybody who answers the phone to buy whatever literal piece of shit stock we were pumping that day. Wow. I mean, it was it was not the most legitimate of uh, times <laughs> in my life, shall we say. But uh yeah, then I figured that out. It's like, yeah, you know what? If I don't get out of here now, ah, my ass is going to go to jail, probably. <laughs> uh, and you know, a lot of a lot of them did. Wolf of Wall Street, their asses went to jail. Yeah. Uh, so yes, and then I just you know, then moved on to uh, a bank and worked in financial sales there. And then one day, my girlfriend at the time says. I want to be closer to my family. Her brother had just had a child. You know, I want to be. So I'm moving out to the Philadelphia area. You can come with me if you want, but I'm moving. I'm moving north. So I was like, man, what the hell? So I moved north and then I married her. Aww, so <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so, and, you know, the job I found up here was working for a, financial advisor firm and uh that's where i met stephanie and i haven't left my wife and i haven't left stephanie <laughs> <laughs> oh man wolf of wall street no kidding i kind of wanted like i'm like if you had a pick between it was leo and what's the other actor uh jonah hill is that his name jonah hill yes if you yeah. had a pick between those two who would you say you were in that movie or none 
They're both kind of scandalous, I guess. That's probably not an appropriate question. Uh, Are you like the peon in the background, just calling on the phone and getting yelled at all the time? I was one of those. I was one of those schlubs that yeah, that was just dialing. Uh, I probably would have been closer to the guy who got fired for bringing his goldfish in. <laughs> if you remember that scene, Jonah Hill ends up eating the goldfish. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that that probably would have been me. I. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, because I had I this delusions. Oh, I'm a stockbroker. I'm going to be picking legitimate companies and making all these great, wonderful trades. I didn't realize I was a salesman. And, you know, that's all you had to do. So I didn't quite appreciate what was required to succeed in that job. Fortunately, because had I succeeded, I, again, probably my ass would be in jail. Right. And probably divorced. Uh, you know, there's probably a lot of bad things that, yeah, that would have <laughs> happened as a result of that. Wow. Yeah, I don't think you would have done well in jail. Yeah. I'm way too pretty to be in jail. <laughs> That's crazy. Oh, my word. Such a different world than what we're used to, right? T-Rex. Yeah. yeah. But I understand, like, where he's coming from. Like, you know, you want to get into an industry and you, you know, <clears throat> you don't know Jack. Right. You've, right. You know, back in the day, that's how we found jobs. Just in like in the back of the newspaper, or the back of a magazine. You know, people, kids today, yeah. they have no idea. Like, I don't even think they know what a newspaper is. Right. But, <laughs> but you know, that's how you found a job. And and sometimes they were skanky. Like one of my first jobs was a, um, I was a collector. Right. Oh, and, there and you here, go. And here I thought, <laughs> you know, big words. You know, like you're going to make a ton of money. Blah blah blah. Mm -hmm. You know you. You people threaten you with their you threaten your life, right? Because <laughs> not my not my cup of tea. No, I I was like, yeah, I'm nope. I'm gonna go find something else to do. <laughs> mm -hmm. I would go home and my stomach would hurt, right? I'd be like, oh. these people don't have any money, and here you're trying to like, you know, threaten them. I I'm not that type of person. That sounds awful. Yeah. yeah no, there's. Yeah. Uh... Back in the day, shall we say, there were some jobs that yeah, required a certain temperament that uh, not everybody possesses. <laughs> a Is that a generous job. way to describe it? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, thank God for the federal law, because, you know, some of those people would still be like in business. Mm -hmm. You know, now, you know, there's more regulation around the financial finance and, you know, collections and things like that. But, you know, back in the day. We didn't know. You know, it was like thirty-five years ago. Yeah. yeah. But you know, you know, I, I, I wished now, you know, just looking back on my life, that I, I had a Stephanie or a Kevin, you know, when I was growing up, because, you know, we didn't learn about finances, right? We didn't learn about putting money in our four hundred one k. We didn't learn about, you know, balancing our checkbook or robbing Peter to pay Paul. You know, we didn't have that, and. Unlike dirty skittles, I mean, my parents were around, but they didn't really they didn't teach us jack, right? Like I was watching them, you know, rob Peter, pay Paul, and I I think that a lot of people in in my generation that it's the same for them, right? And yeah, it it's really difficult, right? And when you you look across the board, like it, your friends, right? Some some people got it all together, some people are kind of middle of the road and then there's other people that you know are barely making it from paycheck to paycheck and you know and it makes me feel bad that you know we actually were like kind of middle of the road 
maybe more than a little bit more middle of the road. But like I I want to help people, right? Like we we have the means and we can help people and help them understand, you know, that you don't really need to rob Peter to pay Paul. I mean, um, a lot of it is pride, right? People are they have so they're so prideful that they don't want to ask for help and they that it's a real it's a real problem especially like up where i live i live in farm country in upstate new york right and there's a lot of people that are robbing peter peter to pay paul and so i mean we can do a lot of stuff anonymously but you know eventually people catch on (laughs) (laughs) well and i think too like what you see on the outside doesn't necessarily tell you what's going on in people's bank accounts you know there's a lot of people who are scrambling to to keep up and keep up appearances and drive the nice car and have the right brand of clothes and the fancy phone, but they might be deep in debt and you really have no idea. So if we're just comparing ourselves to what we see of our neighbors, what kind of car they're driving or what we see on social media, we might feel like, oh my gosh, we're the only ones that don't have it together. But in reality, when you scratch beneath the surface, there's a lot of people who are, you know, putting on appearances that they can't quite afford. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I was in my twenties, I mean, I remember doing hell I'm in my fifties and I still do this, which Mm -hmm. is, I mean, I look at people that I perceive as being in similar situations as me and they have the nicer car. They have the nicer house. They have the nicer vacations. They do all this stuff. And I feel like I'm failing. It's like, what if, you know, what did I do wrong? that I'm not able to do all of these things that these people are doing. But, you know, to Stephanie's point, you know, they might just be, you know, they might be sitting on borrowed time, financially speaking, and, you know, I'm not. And drowning in in debt. You know, a lot of that, too, is like student loan debt, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. For me, I know I'm going to be, I'll be 105 years old before I pay that off. And you know what? I'm I'm fine with that because it is what it is. <laughs> and yeah. you know, I I, I just I, th- I think it's so interesting, like what you guys do, like because you're on two kind of different ends of the spectrum, right? Stephanie's all about like helping women like come to terms with like what they have, and then Kevin's like, okay, so you have all this money now. Let's see how we can spend it. And um, I think that's a good balance, right? Because we we work our entire lives. We should be able to spend some of that money on ourselves by the time we get to retirement. So Skittles, that's like 20 years for you. For me, it's like five. <laughs> one day. One day. <laughs> Is there maybe like a common misconception that you hear that maybe you want to share? Because when you said retire and time to spend money, I immediately was like, isn't that the time where you don't want to spend the money? Because that's all you have. So maybe that is like the common misconception. Like, how do you make people comfortable? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Not necessarily easy. Uh, But I will say this. The closer you get to retirement, your mindset starts to change. Mm. It's not this, it's no longer this nebulous time of, oh, I'm going to be old and I'm going to not want to do anything or, oh my gosh, to the other end, I have this pressure of all this 
time that I've got to figure out how am I going to pay for life? Yeah. But as you, as you approach that time of when you're transitioning into the retirement, because it's very rarely literally on June 30th, you're working and then July 1st, you're retired and it's a flip of a switch. Generally, there's a little bit more of a transition period. You may literally stop the job. Or obviously, you're going to stop the job just one day for a lot of people. But there's still this adjustment period. Mm. But during this period before and after, you know, you start to figure it out. Oh, the world is my oyster. You may not completely embrace that concept, but you realize there's an oyster out there that could be mine to really brutalize that analogy. <laughs> uh, but, you know, then is the conversation of, well, what do I want to do and can I do it? So that's a lot of my conversations with my clients is what do you want to do? Don't worry about the money. What do you want right to now. do? Mm-hmm. At this conversation, next conversation, reality is going to slap you hard across the face. But <laughs> today, let's have fun and think, you know, what do you want to do? And it's not necessarily, I want to try to spend a billion dollars. You know, a lot of people, their retirement plan is, you know, I just, I want to take it easy. Maybe, you know, work a little, you know, to pass the time or in a job that interests me. Mm-hmm. Or maybe, you know, volunteer or something. Uh, And then it's like, okay, let's see what, you know, what do you have? Can we do this? Yes. Great. Let's go on. No. Okay. So what kind of adjustments can we make? But it's a series of conversations to embrace the potential. And then unfortunately, yeah, sometimes. All right. Now we just need to take it down a notch to make it happen. So do you think... I was just going to say, Stephanie, don't you think that a part of that conversation, though, is to maybe not wait until you retire to do do those things like travel while you are still making a full time paycheck and, um, you know, make those memories while you have the money instead of waiting until you get down to your retirement age when for most people, you know, with Social Security, you're not making quite as much as you were working. Some people make more, um, but like, I think part of that conversation is like live, live for today, right? Don't live for retirement because once retirement hits, there's a lot of people that retire and then they get sick and then they don't get to do those things. So I think that's part of the conversation too. Oh, absolutely. It's a lot about the balancing the now and the future, right? And we don't want to be in total self-denial mode today just putting away as much money as we can for some far off nebulous future. And we don't want to spend everything we've got plus today either. Right. So it's, it's definitely a balance. It's a conversation, but I've had multiple, let's say permission giving conversations with clients. (laughs) Can I really afford to do that knitting trip to Scotland? Yes, you actually really can. And if you're nervous about it, right. Like, you know, save a little bit before you go, but you can absolutely afford. And I'm not going to lie to them. I'm going to tell them if they can't afford, right? I have one client who has been dying to get an electric bike, an e-bike. And she was like, she was looking at used ones. I was like, you can afford a brand new one. 
<laughs> it's been like a year and a half and I cannot convince her <laughs> to get the darn bike. So, but I think, you know, we all have different kind of personalities about this stuff too, right? A lot of it is the messages we received growing up. I have other clients who'll call me up like, hey, I bought a, I bought an RV last week. I'm like, oh, uh, uh, okay, <laughs> that's nice. And then the other woman won't buy an e-bike, right? So like <laughs> we all have very different approaches to this stuff. And I think, you know, it can be informed by our circumstances growing up. And yet we can't necessarily predict, right? I've talked to to clients who, you know, they were in a household where the parents were very frugal and they kind of got that same attitude. Like, oh, I have to be careful about what I spend. Whereas their sibling went the whole opposite direction and can't keep a dime in their pocket because, you know, as soon as money comes in, it's spent. They lived through the same experience, but they took different lessons away from it. And I think so many of our money behaviors are driven by our subconscious or our head trash. You know, the stuff that goes, like you said, I love the title of your podcast, the <laughs> shit that goes on in our heads, drives a lot of our money behaviors. So I do think there's value to trying to surface some of that shit, right? Yeah. What is it that's making me, you know, spend too much on Amazon or whatever it might be, right? What's my pattern of behavior? What am I telling myself and where might it come from? Not necessarily to change it, but just to bring a little bit more intentionality to how we deal with our money. So it it almost sounds like you guys are financial therapists. Well, <laughs> that is an actual thing, financial therapy. Really? And there's a whole, there's a conference coming up, the Financial Therapists Association. <gasps> so we are not financial therapists, but that does exist. What? You're both I making faces. Yeah. Yeah. Hold yeah. it. What? Oh, Yeah. I, I say that and I now I have to follow this up like, shoot, maybe I need a financial therapist because my growing up, I don't think I'm like this anymore, although my, my dad will tell me. But growing up, my dad and for listeners, Crazy 8 used to say I had champagne taste with a Burger King budget. Mm -hmm. And every time, <laughs> every time I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to like buy this really expensive thing. I hear him and then I'm like, no, I'm not going to buy the really expensive thing. <laughs> What financial therapists exist, you actually do totally. I, I had no idea. I None. Yeah. What We've had do? a couple on our podcast. I can what? share the episode links. Yes, yes, for sure. What yeah. do they do? Because, <laughs> because again, it, it's something people don't think of. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What do they do? I, G Rex, I'm loving I'm your so, face right now. <laughs> right. I, <laughs> I'm like they got gobsmacked. Like, yeah. Huh? yeah. I'm 60 years old. I've never heard such a thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> do they just oh like. Oh my gosh. Do they like talk to you about your spending like and where it comes from emotionally? Yeah, I think so. Right. Like the psychology of it. I There's a this. really great book, The Psychology of Money. It's not written by a therapist, but it's written by, yeah. a you know, a guy who writes about money all the time. It's really fascinating. Morgan Housel. Um, but it's all about, you know, kind of like it's not just numbers and digits and spreadsheets and math. It's a lot of it is the psychology of what's going on and what's driving our behavior. For sure. Have you had to have difficult conversations with, with clients? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. So it's not always flowers and sunshine rainbows, huh? It is not. It is not. Can you share, uh, like, a random story or no? I can. Oh, tell me one. I'm so curious. I'm here for the tea. So a bunch of years ago, a, a divorce attorney I know referred a woman to me that she was a client of the divorce attorney and she'd gotten divorced and she needed some help getting her arms around her money now as a single individual with some alimony, with a settlement, right? What does it all mean? So I met with her one time and I thought we got along quite well. And, you know, we looked at 
her budget and where her money was going and what she was going to have to live on. And she acknowledged, at least this is my memory, she acknowledged that she was going to have to cut some of her spending. And one of her largest line items was her car lease. And, it, you know, some fancy car, I don't remember. But, you know, it was, and I don't judge, right? You can spend your money wherever you want. But she said, like, oh, I probably should look at that. That's what I remember. So then the next meeting, I brought in a mortgage um, lender person that I knew because part of the issue after you get divorced, if you're not the breadwinner, can you even get a mortgage without income, right? So we were having that conversation and I said something in the meeting in front of the mortgage guy about her looking into a less expensive car. And she didn't say anything right then, but she emailed me two days later and she said, I was so offended that you basically shamed me for my car in front of what's his face. And she left. She was she was not a client anymore. I was like, oh my gosh, here I thought we had come to an understanding, an agreement that you were going to have to spend a little bit less. And a car was one of the areas of conversation. And I had thought I'd brought it up gently, but Ooh, I think bringing it up in front of another person, I learned that lesson. I don't do that anymore, ever, right? It's all very confidential. But then I've, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. It was Oof. interesting. But yeah, I mean, but that's the that's the thing about retirement. And this actually gets back to uh an earlier perception you were talking about, Skittles, which is retirement isn't this or the I guess the old phrase is the old way of looking at retirement is it's the end of the road. No, retirement is this beautiful opportunity in which you get to live all of your childhood dream hopefully <laughs> with proper planning of course <laughs> uh but you, you, this wonderful opportunity to live out all your childhood dreams except now you're over the age of 21 and you can legally do all of the things that you wanted to do <laughs> when you said when i get older i'm going to do this or that or whatever you actually have the time, you have the resources, but you don't have the responsibilities and the obligations you had when you were in your 30s, 40s, and 50s, you know, trying to raise a family, put kids through school, or, you know, take care of your parents, you know, whatever those things are that kept you from doing the stuff when you were younger, you're done with all that. Hopefully. Kids are out of the house. <laughs> They're married or on their own, or if they get married... That's their problem. <laughs> you go down and spoil the grandkids. You know, that's your family obligation. And if you want to say to hell with it, we're going to take a month and go tour fill in the blank. We're going to go do it. Or if I'm going to play golf every day, that's the that's the opportunity. Mm. And that's, you know, what we're trying to get back. You know, Stephanie's point to take back retirement is it's yours. It's what you want to do. How can we help you do that? But also to G-Rex's point, not putting it off all the fun stuff until that time, yeah. right? It's yeah. it's still working some of the fun stuff in. Hopefully, because, you know, you want a good life all the way through. Yeah, because you just never know what's going to happen, right? Like I've heard story after story of where somebody, you know, worked their entire life, they retire, mm -hmm. and then the next thing you know they're like super sick and they can't 
they can't enjoy any of that, right? So put a tiny bit of money away. You can still afford to do like little fun trips, right? Like even if it's going an hour out of where you live and maybe like going to Syracuse or going to Philadelphia or, or something like that, you know, but put fun into it yeah. instead of making money depressing because money is depressing. <laughs> I think sometimes the unknown is scarier than actually once you sit down and talk about yeah. it, like, oh, okay. All right. I can, I can do this. This isn't and, so bad. And, and knowing okay. that, you know, there's people like you guys out there, right. That people can reach out to and, you know, have those conversations with, right. Because you're, you're right. Like some people can't have those conversations with their spouse or their family or their friends, right. They, they want to, they want to explore other options, but they need to feel like they're in a safe space. Yeah. Oh, I mean, to that to that point, I mean, I have meetings, you know, with a couple and then I'll have conversations with just spouse one and then I'll just have conversations with spouse two. And it's like having three different clients. I got him. I got her. I got them. Mm-hmm. Entirely different conversations. All three of them. That's why. To your point. Yeah. I mean, there's just there's stuff, especially when it comes to money. That. You know, even the most important person of your life is like it, there's there's a lot of a lot of shit <laughs> that, that comes with that little green piece of paper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I'm so glad you guys came. I, I would say probably the simplest thing to do. It might be boring as hell if you're not all that interested in it. But the, probably the most important thing you can do: listen to podcasts like ours. I won't shamelessly pl- say only our podcast, but podcasts like ours, you know, where it's more about educating and saying, you know, these are the possibilities. These are the things that exist, good and bad, just things to be aware of. And I really think the value is to your, uh, to what's been said earlier, which is, oh, I didn't realize. Mm -hmm. Oh, I didn't know. Oh, that's not as scary. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. You know, if that happens, it'll suck, but okay. So these are the parameter okay so that's kind of how i would deal with it it gives you a sense of like i said you know it's not the unknown unknowns anymore it's now something you can start to get your head around and it might make things less scary for you You might be a little less intimidated about the steps you need to take and the the one question i did have um is Anybody can get a financial advisor now. It doesn't have to be later on in life, right? Like you could literally start now. That's yes. a good question. Uh, I, I would say yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I would say when you're looking for a financial advisor, step one is to get clear on what you want them to help you do. Because even though we kind of all call ourselves the same things, the weird part is like we have to have licenses, but we can call ourselves anything we want. I can call myself financial advisor, financial planner, wealth manager, queen of the universe. Like there's no rules. <laughs> so, you know, 10 different financial advisors might actually work in 10 different ways and have, have 10 different kind of value propositions. So just because your cousin uses, you know, the firm down the street, your cousin might want something different than what you're looking for. So that's the first thing usually with all the money stuff, is looking inward. Like, what is it that I'm hoping to find? And then you got to go out and find 
there are more and more advisors who work with young people or who work with people who don't have money to invest. A lot of the folks in our industry get paid on investing your money for you. So if you don't have money to invest with them, you're not so profitable and they don't necessarily want to talk to you. Mm -hmm. But there are plenty of advisors. They might be harder to find who will, you know, charge just for their time or their advice or, you know, a lot of folks will, will do free consultations even. So you can get some good information there. So number one, get clear what you're hoping they'll do. And then number two, go find someone who actually does that thing and who you feel comfortable with. Love that. Love, 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 love this because, you know, this all kind of ties back to like the shit that goes on in our heads. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and the unfortunate thing about this shit that goes on in our heads is that people don't like to talk about money Mm -hmm. because it scares them. Yeah. Yeah. This is the shit in the back corner over here that I know is there that bothers me every night when I'm laying down scrolling on Amazon telling myself not to buy the turkey mask, but it's there. And now I feel like I can go. No, the now. turkey mask is a moral obligation. That has, that has to be acquired. There, there's fans are turkey butts about that. Well, and most and, of and us I do want to some level of, of shame around yeah. money, right? Like you said, like there's things we do or we've done or this. $1,100 pair of earrings I bought one time because I was too embarrassed to say I couldn't afford them. <laughs> um, it was ridiculous. And they hurt. I can't even wear them. I keep them as a reminder. Like, I was worried about what the salespeople would think of me. They don't care who I am, right? So I had to buy something. It was ridiculous. So we all have that shit that we've done, right? But we carry guilt and shame around it. I talked to a woman one time. She's like, oh my gosh, if I work with you, I'd have to admit that I overdrew my account last month. I'm like, you think I haven't overdrawn my account? Oh my gosh, I can't even tell you how many times, right? Like, so kind of normalizing that we all make mistakes because we weren't taught about it and, you know, that it's okay. Take your time, you know, you know what you want in the back of your head and and do what's best for you, not what's best for, for them. Totally. Awesome. Couldn't have said it better. Where can our listeners find you? So I would say go to takebackretirement.com or on your favorite podcast app, Take Back Retirement. We have a mixture of episodes. We've got some, you know, kind of expert guests. We've got episodes where Kevin and I hold forth on something we think that would be in- informational and helpful. And then we've got a series, Real Retirement Stories. G-Rex was on one of our Real Retirement Stories. Yes. You know, women who've actually been there, done that, gone through the retirement door, whatever that might look like to them, whether voluntary, involuntary, smooth, rocky, right? And and share some of their hard-earned wisdom. So hopefully people find that useful. And just so there's no confusion, when you go to the website, you're going to see a picture of Stephanie and myself. I'm the devishly handsome redhead, just to be clear which one is which. <laughs> Love that. Thank Without you. Without the full beard. Yeah. <laughs> Without the full beard. Yes. <laughs> Thank you both so much. This has been incredibly insightful. Uh, yeah, I feel I feel better. Thank you so much for for meeting with us and chatting with us and sharing what you do. It's okay to be not okay. Just make sure you're talking to someone. <laughs>